It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. But the story of the biblical account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is one of the most well-known and, and also one of the most controversial, and for the reasons God destroyed it, has had wide implications for us today. But that's not what we're going to talk about, really, um, because new archaeological evidence gives compelling proof that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were obliterated by an asteroid impact that nearly uh, nearly four millennia ago it was more powerful than an atomic explosion. Now, according to the Bible's book of Genesis, God destroyed Sodom by unleashing fire and brimstone as a response to the city's heinous sins. Abraham, the patriarch, tries to tried to argue for its mercy to save a small band of relatives, but God's judgment upon Sodom is final. He tells um, Abraham's nephew Lot and his household to flee the destruction and do not look back, otherwise they would be turned into a pillar of salt. Now, famous depictions of Sodom in pictures and even in a a Hollywood film show Lot's wife looking back and being turned to, to salt. Now, archaeologists and scientists have uncovered some evidence of extreme heat on human skeletons and pottery shards that would suggest an asteroid blast similar to the uh, Tunguska asteroid of 1908 that exploded over Siberia, uh, which had a thousand times more energy than an atomic blast uh, that, that, of, uh, that happened in Hiroshima. The blast at the Tel el-Hammam site in the southern Jordan Valley suggests a similar fate. Now, the city was once thriving, and then suddenly it just wasn't there. Dr. Stephen Collins is the chief archaeologist and the dean of the College of Archaeology at Veritas International University and serves as a consulting research professor in the College of Archaeology at Trinity Southwest University. He is the chief archaeologist at the Tel al-Hammam excavations in Jordan, and he's also excavated sites in Israel and the Palestinian areas, and he joins me now. Welcome, Good morning. Good to be with you. I am so happy to find you uh, able to to talk with me because you're a very busy man. But I want to go kind of back a little bit because how long have you been excavating and researching Tel El Hammam? We actually started researching uh, back around uh, 2001. Hmm. And uh, when I started to um, really delve into the idea of where Sodom might be located, other people had put it toward the south into the Dead Sea pretty routinely. And uh, I didn't think that matched the, uh, the very detailed geographical accounts of Sodom's location from the biblical text, mainly Genesis chapter 13. So I had a problem with that southern location, especially after analyzing the biblical text, which I think very clearly takes us north and east of the Dead Sea. So uh, having written a paper on that subject um, in 2001, we actually began our ground research that year. And uh, Five years later, after being in uh, Jordan a couple of times each year, doing additional research over that five years in 2000 and late 2005 and early 2006, we were actually uh, on the ground in Jordan 
with our first excavation season, and we did 16 total excavation seasons, which we just wrapped up our final uh, dig season this year. When was it apparent to you that this really was the biblical cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that that Lot, uh, being at Bethel and I, um, which is north of Jerusalem, uh, by about 10, 10 or 12 miles. And he was in that location when he lifted up his eyes and looked over and saw that the entire Kikar or circle of the Jordan was well watered. This is the circular shaped alluvial, this floodplain uh, of the southern Jordan Valley, north of the Dead Sea. And um, it says Lot could see that. And, and then he traveled eastward and pitched his tent as far as Sodom which keeps us completely north of the Dead Sea. And, um, not, and, and so Sodom was always mentioned first in those narratives. It was the only city um, that had a king with a voice. Uh, king Bear of Sodom uh, really mm -hmm. is important in the story. So it was very clear to say that Sodom was the largest of these cities. So the Bible was really telling us that Sodom was the largest Bronze Age city northeast of the Dead Sea. And um, so... It was pretty simple at that point. You go looking for the largest archaeological site, the largest Bronze Age archaeological mound in that region, and logically, that should be the city of Sodom. So it, um, it really wasn't complicated. Uh, the Bible took us exactly to the place where Sodom should be located, and lo and behold, the largest continuously occupied Bronze Age city in the entire southern Levant was located, is located on that very site. And so um, I wasn't surprised. The biblical, the biblical geography is always very, very good. It's interesting how the more archaeologists dig someplace, the more truth you find in the Bible, because the Bible's pretty accurate that way, right? Yes. In fact, um, um, of course, those been many people uh, through uh, the last 50 years who have uh, criticized the Bible uh, relative to archaeology and said that archaeology really doesn't uh, match with the biblical text. The problem with that is, is if you wait long enough, usually uh, archaeology justifies the, the biblical text eventually. Um, you have to remember that all, all the archaeological excavations done in that part of the world uh, only touch on about one 1% of the, of the sites and, and the, uh, the uh, territory uh, that would be represented by those sites. I mean, we're, we're really doing little pinpricks. So um, when you go to a site, you don't excavate 100% of it. You excavate a very, very small percentage of it and leave the rest for future generations to deal with if they so choose. But um, when better technologies uh, come to light, Somebody else may come and take up our site again and, and re-excavate it. But um, so it's really not a good idea. I think it's uh, people have found it's not a good idea to bet against the Bible uh, <laughs> in an archaeological context because eventually something is going to come to light. And it seems to do this pretty, pretty routinely. Something comes to light that demonstrates the historical authenticity of the biblical record and uh, it can, that continues to happen over and over and over. I want to get this straight. Tell, uh, Tell El Hamam is 
what now we understand to be Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like a city that was actually put over Sodom and Gomorrah or a destruction, a destruction site? Yes, the, um, the site of Tal Hamam is a city. It is surrounded by numerous other towns and villages, uh, some of which were also fortified. And so um, Gomorrah, we think, is just uh, at a place called Tel Kafrain, just about a, less than a mile up the road. And the other sites that are mentioned, Adma and Zeboim, are around the corner from that, a little bit farther to the north by about five kilometers. So um, the cities are all there. In fact, uh, there are more cities in that location than, than the Bible actually describes. But the, the um, city of Sodom and then Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, these are the larger ones. And uh, of course, there are many, many smaller sites. We call them guardian cities that are placed around uh, the perimeter of, of Sodom. So Sodom was, in fact, what, what we call uh, in ancient Near Eastern studies a city-state. It is, mm. a, it is a large fortified city, an urban center of a large uh, area with other towns and villages under its control within its hegemony. And um, so it was a true city-state. It actually existed and operated from at least in the Chalcolithic, probably the Neolithic period, down to the time of its destruction around 1700 BC. So this was a long run. You're talking about almost 3,000 years of unbroken, continuous occupation. And then one day, fateful day, in around 1700 BC, plus minus 50, we say, mm-hmm. um, a massive, catastrophic, meteoritic airburst event uh, out of the sky, out of the heavens, we might say, um, exploded onto that area and completely obliterated about 400 square kilometers. Wow. Um, Before we get to the evidence, the archaeological evidence of that asteroid explosion, um, what was life like in Sodom, um, you know, 3,700 years ago? What would it have been like? Well, I would say, I'm going to use a word here, normal. (laughs) <laughs> very, very traditional uh, Canaanite-style city. Um, it was very wealthy. It was large. Uh, the city has a platform of about 300 acres upon which it sat, um, a, a perennial river, Wadi on one side, another one on the other side, and uh, people lived across that and it had lots of great agricultural land. They, they built massive fortifications, enclosing 62 acres. So there's 62 acres inside the city wall, and which includes a lower city and an upper city. And it's very large. Uh, some of the wall, the fortification walls are five to six meters thick. Uh, the palace walls, the exterior palace walls are three meters thick. In fact, the, the palace has a, uh, a footprint just slightly larger than the White House. Wow. So um, this is not small potatoes. This is a very sub- it's a substantial city. It's wealthy. It's large. It was powerful. And we have no evidence that it was ever conquered by um, or destroyed by some sort of military activity. We do have two big earthquakes that occurred in its history, but they immediately rebuilt and, and kept going. But um, it was so it was big. It was powerful. And it was the 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 key city in the southern Levant for a couple thousand years. We, um, in this modern day, and certainly after, um, you know, in Christ, during the Christian, Christianity, 
understand Sodom to have had this great sin. And that's, I don't know, that's probably not a concern of yours. I don't know if it is or not, but a lot of people might be asking, what was Sodom's great sin that it had to be destroyed? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, of course, everybody always thinks of the obvious because of the, um, the incident that happened when uh, the Bible says the messengers, uh, often translated angels, uh, came, came and warned Lot and his family that um, God was about ready to take out the city in judgment. And um, he came, uh, the angels came, and they said, uh, you got to get out of Dodge. Well, and then there was an incident where the men of the city sought to, uh, sought to kidnap them or uh, accost them and, um, and to... Uh, in biblical terms, to uh, to know them, to have, <laughs> have sex, sexual relations right, with right. them, um, and that's always that's always what's focused on. But what's interesting about that is is that Sodom was already targeted for destruction before that incident ever occurred. Uh, there's only one passage in the entire Old Testament that where God Himself, um, sort of from God's mouth to our ear, tells us why He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's in uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to listen to what God says there. He says this, he says, and here is why I destroyed Sodom. Mm -hmm. I destroyed them because they were arrogant, wealthy, overfed, did not take care of the widows and the orphans, and did detestable things in my sight. And um, that, that could so be talking you, about uh, America today. Actually. Yeah, when you listen to that, it's like, whoa, arrogant. Uh, uh, you, yes, yes, exactly. You think, well, wait a minute. This sounds like like a civilization I know. <laughs> and um, so God was targeting them, not not merely for for sexual immorality. And certainly that uh, that may have been part of it, but it wasn't the whole picture. God was um, was disgusted with Sodom, they crossed the line that they had completely let go of any sort of moral and social responsibility. And so God targeted them for destruction. Um, we're going to take a uh, break on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be back with Dr. Stephen Collins talking about the archaeological evidence of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. 
That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. And we're back with uh, Dr. Stephen Collins. He is the chief archaeologist, um, dean of the College of Archaeology at Veritas International University. And we are talking about the biblical site of Sodom and Gomorrah and the evidence that an atomic, uh, no, an asteroid explosion probably destroyed Sodom. And this flows with the biblical account of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah uh, through fire and brimstone. So, Dr. Collins, I mean, what is the physical evidence that we're seeing that this was actually destroyed um, by some kind of asteroid explosion? Well, the the first thing that we had to deal with was uh, Genesis chapter 19, uh, where we actually have an ancient account of a city, in this case Sodom and and its related towns, uh, destroyed by a cosmic event. The the language in that passage is very, very clear. The question is, where did it come from? Did somebody just pull this out of thin air? Did they make it up? Was it fiction? Or was there actually some sort of actual cosmic explosive event that occurred to the, that lies behind the um, the telling of this story in the Bible, and I think that's probably the certainly the case, uh, because um, why would someone make anything like this up? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of ways to destroy a city in the ancient world: earthquakes. The Bible talks about earthquakes and and all kinds of you know fire, and um, you can do it without a cosmic explosion. Uh, why is this? Why is it described in this way? I think it's described in this way because it actually, this event actually happened. So that was one of the things we first talked about. Was this? We said this sounds like a meteoritic airburst, or it's called also called a bolide airburst, where you have a an asteroid or a or a comet fragment, some large uh, space object that's coming in at tens of thousands of miles an hour at an oblique angle into the Earth's atmosphere, heats up and goes critical, you know, goes from mm. a solid to a liquid to, to gas to plasma uh, in the, almost the blink of an eye and um, explodes violently uh, and, and destroys everything on the ground, actually in this case without making a crater. Uh, and you mentioned Tunguska, Siberia in 1908. That happened there where you had about 2,500 square kilometers of, of Siberian forest flattened, burned and flattened uh, in the blink of an eye because of that event and no apparent crater there either. And so we think that this particular event actually occurred. Um, And of course then, what was the evidence on the ground? And that's not my bailiwick. Uh, (laughs) Archeology span is my thing, but airbursts are not my thing. So um, we had another uh, completely outside team of astrophysicists and physicists and, and uh, geologists and others uh, come in who were experts on dealing with these kinds of explosive meteoritic airburst events. And um, they spent six years or so uh, taking samples, looking at the evidence, looking at what they would find in the area around Tal Hamam and also in the uh, destruction layers. Uh, that are associated with that Middle Bronze Age event that we think was the destruction of Sodom. So at the end of that, um, in, in 2021, they published a, uh, a paper in Nature Scientific Reports 
that a Tunguska-sized airburst event destroyed Tal el-Hammam in the southern Jordan Valley. And of course, that was, um, was a lot of pushback on that because <laughs> people didn't like the idea that, that this kind of event as described in the Bible could have actually occurred. Uh, what it was suggesting was this was not mythological after all. It was something that happened and that ancient writers, ancient uh, um, spinners of ancient lore used it and um, because it was real, it actually happened. And so I always say from that point, uh, depending upon how you view the Bible, you can put the fact of that explosive airburst event on your own personal believometer, and you can take it uh, where your personal faith uh, would take you. And what was, so I mean, many people what, are going to say, yes, it happened, but uh, maybe it doesn't have any meaning uh, beyond that. Well, this is an interesting thing because I understand the whole scenario of the two angels or two men i mean there's i think there've been a there was a movie i think um a very famous actor paid god or paid one of the angels angels of god and comes to abraham talking about you know we're going to destroy Sodom, or should we tell abraham knowing that you know we're going to do this and abraham bargains with them but debates god in a sense of well if you find 50 righteous people would you not destroy and and he says, no, I'll leave it if I can find 50. And the number gets down to 10, if you can find 10. But then it stops. There's no debating after he says, if you find 10. Um, I don't know how many people were in Lot's uh, family in that household, but 10 is a pretty big number, and maybe that's it, or maybe it's more, or maybe he figured 10. But it's always been debated, like, why didn't he go down to one? And I think that's a very interesting theological point about the Bible um, that's never really brought up. Like, why wouldn't he get down to one? But Christianity would say, well, because there was no one except for later, of course, it would be Jesus. But the idea that he debates with these, these angels is a very interesting kind of part, of part of that whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and then the next part that's interesting, I think, is to ask you, and I don't know if, you, if this is your area of expertise, but how much would an ancient um, uh, a stargazer uh, understand the signs in the skies? Would they have been able to predict a comet coming close to Earth um, in a sense that, you know, this is going to happen and kind of send out warnings? Would it would have been that advanced back then? No, and uh, uh, you can compare that to the high level of technology we have for detecting these sorts of space uh, uh, objects now. And uh, almost monthly, we hear of a, uh, of a close call of an object, uh, an asteroid fragment or uh, some other kind of space debris that was in a close call and we didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, th I, th I don't think we could expect that ancient people would have the these things are pretty much invisible. They're very small in comparison to say a, a, a comet or, or a much larger object that might be visible that might have refracted light or actually might, uh, uh, might be trackable. No, I don't think so. I I think um, this this would be completely invisible. And in fact, we um, in looking at the way it happened. Looking at the physical evidences on the ground, it actually looks like it came uh, for, uh, at a 
pretty shallow trajectory out of the southwest. Mm. And uh, it's possible, uh, there's some other language in the text of the Bible that suggests that it happened late in the afternoon as the sun had completed its course through the sky and um, that the sun was still up. The sun had gone through the door, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, as ancient people would think of it. And uh, if, if it came out of the southwest late in the day, they would never have seen it coming. Uh, it would have happened, uh, come right out of the uh, out of the setting sun, you might say. So um, uh, it was quick. It was uh, complete. Uh, the Bible even says not only did it destroy the city and everyone living in it, all five cities, and uh, but it says it destroyed destroyed every green thing, every leafy plant, everything, and um, and we know that to be the case because. After that event in the archaeological record, there is no sign of occupation in that area for the next 700 years. Wow. Uh, people did, could not come back and do settlements or towns or even villages because there wasn't enough agric- agricultural soil left after that event in order to support even a modest settlement. So, um, what about radiation as well? Would, it, would there have been radiation as well left by? No, uh, no. This is not a. This is not a. Uh, this is not an atomic or nuclear okay. kind of thing. Uh, no, no radiation. But the heat was so intense, and we're talking about tens of thousands of degrees. The blast front uh, pushing seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds per square inch against the city and against the soil. It would have literally. Uh, burned the soil, the agricultural soil, the, the topsoil, right off the landscape. Uh, it literally took 700 years from the time of its destruction until people could come back to the area and begin to plant things like barley. Mm. So the next occupation settlement we have at the site is from around 1000 B.C., from about the time of King David. So uh, it took a long time for the agricultural soils in that area to recover. And that's what happens when one of these events occurs. Uh, Things don't come back overnight. It took a long, long time. And there's significant evidence uh, in the destruction layers at Tal Hammam of uh, at least 25, what we say, are proxies of, of the kinds of things that these impact events leave behind that are not naturally found on this planet like iridium and osmium and uh, microspherules of of silica and iron uh, pulverized material that is melted and raining back down uh, across the landscape so um these are the the kinds of things they also find find skeletal remains because one of the stories I, i read talked about skeletal remains that were instantly burned, incinerated. Yeah, we do have some skeletal remains associated with that, uh, with that layer, that Middle Bronze Age destruction layer, which is the meteoritic airburst event that we're talking about. The problem with finding skeletal material is it's um, the, the depth of that destruction matrix, we call it, is about a meter to a meter and a half. And um, so it's, it's very big, it's deep, and um, it does have skeletal material in it. Uh, of course, lots of animal bones as well. Hmm. But mixed in there are human uh, skeletal fragments. 
and we've not found anything so far uh, in that particular destruction layer of an articulated uh, skeleton. Uh, we, we have found pieces of uh, upper dentition and maybe a part of an eye socket, uh, pieces of bone or pieces of pelvic, uh, pelvis bones or leg bones are just, they're just fragments, wow. uh, skulls, just but pieces. And um, so it seems like the event was extremely violent. It destroyed, broke pottery, it broke, it broke uh, objects, it broke uh, people. It ripped and tore through uh, the landscape, including the city, uh, leaving behind utter destruction. And um, we do find bits and pieces of people in that destruction matrix. And there was no crater, so it burst before it hit the Earth. Like how far above the actual Earth's surface did it actually yeah, we, burst? We, we think the uh, the critical mass explosion occurred about a kilometer ab above the north end of the Dead Sea, which also served to uh, you know with that with that pulse of of a shock wave would also push uh, massive quantities of Dead Sea, you know, heavy saline Dead Sea water up over the landscape. Uh, it's interesting that in the Middle Bronze Age layer of that destruction, there is a very high um, percentage of salt. Mm. The Dead Sea salt content in that layer is very high. Not so above it, not so below it, but in that layer, uh, the salt content's very high, among other things as well that would have been um, born from space. But um, we think that that dead sea salt obviously came from the, from the dead sea itself because the explosion would have vaporized vast quantities of, of dead sea water and the salt in the water. So turning around, may, being made into a pillar of salt would be very interesting because there, there's certainly scientific evidence that it was possible if, it, if the yes, spray was coming towards you. Yes, she was probably, Lot's wife was probably uh, just on the very, very edge of the affected zone, and so that um, she she was not vaporized, but she was uh, simply buried, covered in a layer of superheated brine and vaporized salt, which coated the entire landscape in that area, including her. And so um, that's a reasonable explanation as to how uh, somebody becomes a pillar of salt. Wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> but, she stopped short, uh, didn't go with the family. She insisted on turning back or looking back. And uh, I think she stopped in the blast zone and um, was literally uh, incinerated but coated with salt. So she wound up as sort of a, a little pillar in the landscape. You know, what do we know from the, the uh, Tunguska um, explosion that we can kind of compare to what happened in Tel El Hammam um, that happened in 1908. What do we learn from that? Well, one thing we learn from from Tunguska is that these things do happen. Uh, there was another one, by the way, in 2013. Uh, it didn't hit. It didn't hit the ground in a powerful way, but it exploded over Chelyabinsk, Russia, uh, in. Uh, I believe February of, of 2013, mm. um, that event was high enough 
that it only broke a lot of windows on the ground, gave a few sunburns to people, but um, didn't kill anybody. But had it exploded um, closer to the ground, it could have been devastating. So the point is with Tunguska and with Chelyabinsk and other um, known airburst events uh, through the history of the planet is that when they do happen, they are violent and they can do massive destruction. And so um, it's always interesting to, to think about what would happen if one of these hit place like Los Angeles or New York or Chicago, well, they would cease to exist because the footprint of these events is, uh, is large enough, like the Tunguska event, the Tal Hammam event, is large enough to obliterate a modern city. And so um, that's, a, that's a little concerning. Well, it is. And I'm just wondering, do we, yeah. does our military, even combined military of, you know, the big superpowers, do they have the ability to thwart such an occurrence because, you know, that movie Asteroid with, you know, Bruce, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Bruce Willis. Yeah. And that talks about that. Do we have the ability to throw one of these huge asteroids off its trajectory so that it misses Earth? Well, I, I think the answer to that question is yes, because they've already uh, basically done it, I think, in one instance, uh, give it a nudge. But... Um, Yes, of course, uh, human beings would throw all of their technology at such a thing if they knew it was coming, uh, if they knew it was uh, uh, possible that it could hit the Earth and do, do massive, massive damage. Uh, yes, of course, we'd throw everything, every technological uh, uh, bullet we had at it and, and to try to knock it off course. But what's interesting uh, about the Tal el-Hammam event and the Tunguska event both is that there was... Um, very definite directionality. I mean, you can, by, by looking at the scatter of uh, the destruction the, in Tunguska, in the, in the case of Tunguska, the way the trees were laid out in a particular pattern. At Tal Hammam, where the, where the pottery in the matrix, or the, how, the, how the objects in the matrix are broken and strewn in a northeasterly direction through the through the matrix uh, of the destruction, uh, you can get a sense of the directionality of it. And that's why I said a moment ago that we think it came uh, at a very shallow trajectory from the southwest. Tunguska um, uh, was a little bit um, uh, higher in, in its entry trajectory. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, we can tell a lot about the event itself by looking at the evidences left behind in the destruction layer that it creates, but wow. it would uh, it would be devastating if any any of this happened today. And by the way, the 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 scientists, the 21 scientists on the on that particular paper that I mentioned a while ago, uh, are are constantly being asked by people like NASA uh, and other scientific agencies uh, to share their research because they are uh, trying to understand what would happen if uh, one of these things hit planet Earth, uh, hit an urban area, and to make some kind of preparatory um, uh, response to such a, uh, an event. Because it's, it's not just a theory. Uh, we know these things actually do happen. Does the Bible give us any indication when a similar event might happen 
I'm thinking about the book of Revelation, obviously, but does it give any indication that we might see something like that very soon? I mean, you can't, you, yes. <laughs> you, can't, you can't look at the book of Revelation and not see that there are definite cosmic events uh, occurring uh, in, in that. Now, are, are these descriptions uh, metaphorical? Are they, are they symbolic? Uh, or are they describing something literal? Is this going to happen? Um, there is a description of a massive object destroying um, about a third of the, of the living things on the earth, a space object that impacts the planet um, in the book of Revelation. I mean, that's how it reads. So um, the Bible's very, um, you might say the Bible, even though it's written th a couple thousand years ago or thousands of years ago, um, is pretty up on, uh, yeah. on the latest airburst science. So, so, so the Bible recognized that massive impacts have occurred and that they probably will occur in the future. Um, I want to give people some ideas when they can where they can get more information, the books you've written. Can you give us some idea where we can find some of your papers and your, your, yes. your written books? Yes. Um, the one book that, that really gives the backdrop of the, of the initial research and uh, how we got into the excavation and what we began to find uh, in the excavation, that story is written in a book titled Discovering the City of Sodom. And it's published by Simon and Schuster. It was published in uh, in 2015, 2013, I think. Mm. And um, that's that really tells the backstory. I really, really recommend that. Uh, it was uh, co-authored by uh, Dr. Latane Scott, who made it readable. Um, <laughs> she's she's a, she's a really excellent writer, and and she made it very interesting. So it's it's sort of that book puts you sort of at our elbow watching all of this process of discovery take place. So I really recommend that one, Discovering the City of Sodom. Um, there are lots of articles and papers uh, that we've put out. Um, most of them would be technical, and so it would be rather rather boring for the, uh, for the uh, listeners to, <laughs> for me to rattle, rattle off some of those and where they could find them. But um, there's a lot out there. We've done six or seven documentaries, three with National Geographic, some with the History Channel and Discovery Channel, even the Travel Channel um, uh, on our site. So those can be picked up probably here and there uh, for folks to watch. And uh, they're still airing. Um, in That'd fact, we did, a, uh, did an unexplained uh, episode with, with Bill Shatner. So. <laughs> We we're on his show, so we're kind of everywhere if you look hard enough. Yeah, and uh, so, but those are those are always fun, but they don't always tell the the detail of the story. Yeah, but if you want the detail of the story, you really need that book, Discovering the City of Sodom. Yeah, that that passage in Ezekiel is starting to worry me a little bit, um, <laughs> and I've read it yeah. several times, but yeah. not with understanding it in terms of this is actually possible for us today. Right. Well, I, th I, I think for those who, who hold the Bible in high regard, uh, which I do, that the point of it, the point of Sodom's destruction is that when God draws the line and humanity decides to cross it, or a, sec a segment of humanity decides to cross it, 
and um, that God will judge. God draws a line at a point and says, if you cross this line, I will, I will bring judgment. I will bring uh, even destruction. And um, so when you look at that, I think, I think there's, a, there's a lesson to be learned there that you can only push God so far. And once you cross the line that he draws, now the question is, where's the line that God has drawn for Western civilization? Where's the line that God has drawn for America? How close are we to that line? Have we already crossed that line? Let's not be so arrogant to think that if God destroyed Sodom uh, because he, he warned them, he drew a line, he said, if you, if you cross the line, I'm going to destroy you. He did. And by the way, there's an interesting little passage uh, related to that. It actually says in, I believe it's in the 18th or 19th chapter of Genesis, it says that there was a great outcry against the city of Sodom. Mm. It wasn't just God. It was that the people around the cities of the plain were complaining about the direction that this particular culture had taken. Well, so there was something that even, I mean, the Canaanites themselves who were often, you know, um, uh, you know, they had sacred prostitutes and Baal worship and, and, and all kinds of things, sacrificing of, of children. But they were crying out against Sodom. Whoa. And so Sodom had not only crossed the line seemingly with, uh, with God's uh, moral standards, but they had crossed the line with even the, from the moral standards of the view of the Canaanites. I always thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> Who in the world would be, I mean, if these other people are, uh, have a culture that um, isn't, isn't so stellar, but they're crying out against the city of Sodom, city of Sodom uh, must have had some real problems. And we mentioned uh, Ezekiel 16, that, that is, there was a, it was sort of a whole cultural breakdown uh, that, that had occurred uh, at, at every level, at the mm. level of social and uh, responsibility, taking care of the widows and the orphans and things like that. So um, God had had it. God drew a line and God had had it and uh, God destroyed them. But look where we are. I, you know, I can't go back and read Ezekiel 16 uh, and go back and look at, at the destruction of Sodom and not think, wow, um, our culture has gone off the rails. Mm. And uh, where are we going? We're plunging, I think, uh, he headlong toward destruction. And uh, so I, I, I think it's a sobering thing to think about that um, God will only allow a culture to go so far before uh, he puts an end to it. Interesting, because America is, what, um, maybe 300, close to 300 years old? Um, not even. I mean, you've got uh, European cities that are, you know, 700, 800 years old um, civilizations. And certainly when you look at Sodom, and they were close to 3,000 years old by the time God decided, yeah. I've had enough. Hopefully, he has a lot more patience with us. Um, but um, we, we shall see. We, we seem to do things faster. 
Um, exactly. Exactly. Technology has given us the ability faster. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Just to yeah. sin a lot faster than we were. Um, Dr. Stephen Collins, I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has been fascinating. So incredibly fascinating. And I hope all of the listeners uh, get your books and read your papers and uh, read the Bible, too, because there's some interesting things in there. And now, as science progresses and finds that much of the biblical narrative is actually has has archaeological proof. So um, this is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Well, it's been good to be with you, Lauren. Thank you. And thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.